In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Paul writes, we believed and therefore we speak. But what difference does our belief make? What difference does it make to say, I believe in God? What does faith give us? One way to answer this question is to say that faith gives us the eyes to see the world rightly. Austin Farrer, the great Anglican theologian, once said that belief gives us a true description of the world. The creeds of the church, he said, give us a sort of contour map of the world as it is seen in the light of faith. Faith, you could say, gives us the lay of the land. It helps us to orient ourselves in the world. It picks out the significant features of the landscape, helps us to see things for what they truly are, gives us an eternal perspective on things. As a topographic map gives a bird's eye view of the terrain, so Christian belief, you might say, gives a view of the world as God sees it. In today's epistle lesson, there is an excellent example of the difference faith makes of the way in which Christian belief gives a true description of the world. St. Paul writes, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Paul's faith, in particular his belief that Jesus is risen from the dead, has given him the proper perspective on his circumstances. It gives him a true description of the world. Specifically, it enables Paul to correctly perceive the grievous troubles he has faced for the sake of the gospel. By any earthly measure, Paul had to endure serious and weighty suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. At the time that he wrote this, his second letter to the Corinthians, he had been forcibly expelled from numerous cities. He'd been beaten and thrown in prison, stoned and left for dead. Indeed, he says at the beginning of this letter that before he came to Corinth, he had been pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that he despaired even of life. Paul knew what it was to suffer, and to be racked with pain. And yet, how does he describe his sufferings? He calls them our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That is the difference faith makes for Paul. It enables him to make light of his sufferings, to place them in the proper perspective to see them for what they really are. For all the grievousness of those sufferings, 
His faith shows him what they truly amount to, namely a momentary lightness of affliction. On balance, his bodily sufferings are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits him. As he puts it elsewhere, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul, of course, is not alone in seeing this. The whole canon of Scripture gives voice to faith's view of the world. To take just a few examples more or less at random, St. James writes, We count them happy which have endured. And again, he says, Blessed is the man who endures trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And St. Peter speaks in the same vein, and he distinguishes this Christian perspective from a mere stoicism. When he writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when, the glory which, when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let not one of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. And above all, there are the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Blessed are ye when men revile ye and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Faith gives a true description of suffering born for the sake of Christ. That it is not a cause for losing heart, but for rejoicing. Indeed, when the first Christians were persecuted, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, as it's written in the book of Acts. Later on, John Chrysostom said that Christian belief enables us not to regard the distress of circumstances, but the gain accruing to us from them. He says that a person driven to make money is willing to bear all kinds of inconveniences and pain, all kinds of late nights and troubles to gain what can be lost in a moment whether by theft or by the vagaries of the market, or in the end, certainly by death. But the Christian is ready to endure even death in order to gain what cannot be lost. Ready to say with Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us an, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
enduring momentary lightness of affliction for the sake of Jesus, gains an eternal weight of glory. But what is this weight of glory? At least part of the answer is that what suffering gains is a fuller participation in the life of Jesus. To suffer for what is right, to suffer for no fault of our own as when we bear sickness. This is to be made a partaker of Christ's sufferings, as St. Peter puts it. Suffering born for righteousness' sake is a sharing in the suffering of Jesus. It is to be drawn very close to the Lord, to be made transparent to his life. For the life of the risen Jesus shines out most clearly from our lives when our weakness and frailty is most evident. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, writes Paul, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He says we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of the Lord might also be made manifest in our body. The mighty life of the risen Jesus shines out in our weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee, he says to his servant, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That phrase again, an eternal weight of glory. It is a beautiful phrase, but what can it mean? A weight of of glory. The key to its meaning lies in understanding that glory and weight are closely connected in the language of the Bible. In Hebrew, the words for weight and for glory share the same root, the basic meaning of which is to be heavy, but it can also be used metaphorically to suggest significance or importance. And so, depending on the context, it can mean glory or honor. If you think about it, we have a similar way of speaking in English. For example, when we speak of giving weight to something, we mean that we ascribe comparative significance to that thing. There's also the more colloquial expression for a difficult subject, as in, that's heavy, bro. So when the Bible speaks of God's glory, it's speaking of God's heaviness, as it were, God's weightiness, God's gravity, the fundamental importance, the consequence, the import, the momentousness of the almighty and ever-living God. And to give glory to God or to honor God is to recognize what is the case, to recognize God's weightiness, to acknowledge how fundamentally God matters.
There's a passage in 1 Samuel that plays on these senses. Those who honor me, God says, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. A contrast between giving weight to or honoring someone and making light of or despising someone runs through the passage. God honors or gives weight to, as it were, those who give weight to God, but lightly esteems those who make light of him. That is to say that the language of honor and glory has to do with seeing the true significance of things. As the scripture says, the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We, for our part, tend to give weight to presidents and parliaments and politicians and pundits and power brokers, but to the Lord, all these amount to less than nothing. Indeed, to the Lord, the nations, as the prophet Isaiah says, with all their pomp and outward glory, are like a drop from the bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. They carry no weight with God, for they do not honor him. They give no weight to God, as it were, and therefore they are without weight themselves. They have no substance. They are but as the dust on the scales. But, he says, those who honor me, I will honor. What matters to God is the heart that honors him. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What then is the eternal weight of glory promised to us? It is nothing less than a sharing in, a partaking in, the weighty glory of God. It is to be found in Christ, to know him and the power of his resurrection, to be transformed into the image of Christ, so that our very bodies shine forth with the radiant life of the Lord Jesus. When mortality is swallowed up by life, when he that raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. When our Savior will transform our lowly bodies to be made like his glorious body. When these frail and flimsy bodies of dust are made into the glorious bodies of the new creation, more weighty, more substantial than we can now imagine when the heavens and the earth will be shot full of and filled out by the glory of the Lord, and the whole created order will be made capable of bearing the weight of the Creator, and all things will sing in ceaseless praise, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.